Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 61 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. This week, we are a man down. Chaz has been missing in action for the last few days. I'm assuming that when he saw the green mythics for Shadows over Innistrad, he went a little crazy and is hitchhiking out to Wizards of the Coast headquarters to yell at them about the quality of the green mythics. But actually, I think he's moving, so no Chaz this week. Instead, it is me, Seth, and Richard. How's it going, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? Not much. Are you ready to uh, talk some more spoilers this week and answer some fish mail? I'm ready. I think that is going to be most of the cast this week. We have tons of new spoilers from Shadows over Innistrad that are looking pretty sweet, except for the green ones. And also, a few fish mail questions that we'll get to at the end, so... I guess we might as well just jump right into the spoilers. All right. So this week, we're doing Hooked on Phonics. We got a lot of card <laughs> names that are hard to pronounce, so I apologize if I fail my high school English teachers. <laughs> uh, so first up, we have Prized Amalgam, I believe. One blue and a black. So three for a 3-3 three, three zombie. Uh, whenever a creature enters a battlefield... If it entered from your graveyard, or you cast it from your graveyard, returned prized amalgam from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped at the beginning of the next end step. So, this one's really interesting to me. I want to get your opinion on Legacy, primarily. Is this something that can see play in, like, Legacy Dredge, just because it comes back for free when you uh, uh, play those... uh, What are those cards that they get back from the graveyard by exiling things? You mean, like, Narcomoebas and stuff? Well, not Narcomoebas. The black ones are, like, three ones that can't block. Oh, uh, you... Icarid? Yeah, like, Icarid-type cards. Like, is this playable with Icarid? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna say no. And uh, the main reasons is it doesn't trigger off Narcomoeba, because Narcomoeba just mills and randomly enters uh, the battlefield. But the, the main clause is it enters at the beginning of the next end step. So the the main reason for all these creatures and dredge coming back is you want to cast your Cabal Therapies and your... What's the reanimation spell called? Dread Returns. And all the other creatures uh, enter the battlefield immediately, and some of them can even attack. Uh, whereas Prized Amalgam will just sit there and you have to wait one more turn. And, you know, that one turn of not Cabal Therapying or not Flashing Dread Return, like, could cost you the game. So I don't think... This will make it in there, but it might make it. There are some crazy blue versions of Dredge where you play Force of Will. Uh, this card is blue, so it pitches the Force of Will. So maybe in those variations, but the the blue Dredge isn't too popular. And the idea of the blue Dredge is you actually have something against Rest in Peace. You Force of Will it. But uh, in normal Dredge, I don't think this is going to make it because it doesn't enter immediately. That one-turn delay will cost you. On the other hand, in modern... You don't have Cabal Therapy. You don't have Dread Return. So I could see this card being played in Modern Dredge, which isn't that great at the moment, but like Dredge Mine type decks that are looking to grind out value with uh, Gravecrawler and with Bloodgast and so forth. Like it seems like a really good card to just dredge into your graveyard in those decks because those decks don't care if they got to wait till their next end step. Like they don't have those spells they need to cast main phase. Do dredge decks play blue in modern? Uh, some of them do because they want Hedron Crab to fuel their graveyard. So some of the builds of dredge do play blue. Okay, I can see that. I mean, it's a three-three free, quote, you know, quote-unquote free body. So if you can make the mana work, and if you have a, a dredge shell, I think I think this could see play. And it's got to be sweet and standard, right? With relentless dead, like it's just free value with relentless dead. Yeah, well, it depends if you're going to play blue. That That's the big question. Are you going to play blue with your zombies? And if you are, then this this is a shoe-in. But uh, is it worth going into blue to pick this card up? Wait, I, I got it. We can discard three of them to the blue mythic zombie, whose name I can't remember because <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> and then when it comes back from the graveyard, we get all three of these back. Like, I think that's the deck right there. Pro Tour, here we come. Yeah, just make a Dralf... Wait, Stitcher Dralf? Dralf Stitcher? What's his name? Make a Dralf deck with... Uh, I, his mythic is what? Dralf's Masterpiece? Yeah, Masterpiece. This, this I believe, was his first creation or something. Uh, oh, no, no. This is just something from Ludovic's Laboratory. There, there are a couple Dralf zombies, so you can actually make a themed Dralf standard zombie deck. 
it sounds pretty sweet. Maybe that'll be an upcoming dual deck. That's a possibility. Uh, so moving on, this is probably my favorite card in the set. Uh, Wizards hyped us up through their website, and we finally got the card. It is a giant frog horror, <laughs> the Geetrog Monster. So it's three black and a green. So five, uh, four, six, six, death touch. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Geetrog Monster. Unless you sacrifice a land, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. And whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. This card's really sweet. It, I don't know about the drawback of sacrificing a land each turn. So essentially, every turn you sack a land, and because you sack that land, you draw a card. So it's a, a one-sided howling mind. And it kind of makes up for it by letting you play an additional land. So it's just got this weird package, which I'm not sure how it works in Constructed. But the card is so flavorful and sweet. Like, I don't even really care if it's good in Constructed. It's a really cool card. Yeah, I think this card is nuts. And if Chaz was here, I would poke fun of Underworld Cerberus. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those cards that looks so good on paper, but it may not actually materialize in anything. Uh, you know, maybe there are better five drops in the format. I, I don't know. But it's if it sticks, you get so much value from it. And I, I don't think there's any real downside to the card. I think it's all upside. And it's whether or not a five mana 6-6 six, six kind of basically do nothing <laughs> for the first turn is, is worth it uh, in standard. I think there's a chance. I mean, a 6-6 six, six for five mana, even by modern day power creep standards, is above the curve, especially with Death Touch. And when you consider how many cards you can potentially draw, and this triggers when a land goes to your graveyard from anywhere. So it's not just the cards that you sack, but if you cast a Seder Wayfinder or that type of effect and mill a bunch of cards, you're going to draw for each land that goes in that way as well. So I think it's got a chance to be playable and constructed. And it seems like there could be some weird combo deck with modern cards where you can uh, glimpse the unthinkable yourself to draw eight cards for two mana or something if you have this on the battlefield and a bunch of lands in your deck. Yeah, you can dredge your whole deck. So if you if you have like a, a dredge for six, uh, one of those will probably turn over a land and then you can just use the replacement effect and dredge that again. And you can pretty much go through your whole deck with dredge. I'm curious if there's a combo deck Maybe a Lavatory Maniac combo or something with this thing. Um, I really want to play it with Gifts. So you Gifts for this, Life from the Loam, Ghost Quarter, Unburial Rites. And you pretty much have a Landlock right there, no matter what happens, provided you can actually cast the monster. Um, So there's certainly very interesting combos that you can pull off in Modern. And it's not bad as a Plan B. Uh, you know, if your combo doesn't work, just having a 5-mana 6-6 six, six death touch isn't horrendous. Uh, it's not optimal because usually in Modern, your 4 and 5 drops should pretty much just win you the game if left unimpeded. But uh, it, it is a sweet combo piece, and the plan B of beatdown seems pretty legitimate. You know, value engine beatdown. So I'm actually very excited to see this, uh, see what happens in Modern with this thing. I, I can't believe I'm going to talk about Legacy Dredge twice in the same podcast, but could this be a Dread Return target if you can literally just take and put your entire library into your graveyard if you Dread Return this? Would that be worth it in any sense? No, because you we already have that in, um, what is it, Battle Battleblade Spy or whatever? It's like oh. the 4-mana 2-3 where you flip a card until you hit a land. And, and normally in Dredge, if you Dredge Return... Uh, a dread return you're gonna win <laughs> right like okay. that that's what you get your like the minute you cast that you've won the game so you don't need another finisher so it doesn't really have too much and you're obviously not gonna hard cast it in dredge like dredge doesn't ever get to five mana so so no no legacy potential but potentially combo in modern and possibly good in standard yeah uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think, is there any legacy thing? You, like, can lands do this? Like, I, I don't know. Like, five mana is a ton. Well, I mean, isn't a Hermit Druid banned because you can just dump your entire graveyard or tie your library into your graveyard? And this can kind of do the same thing in the right deck. But obviously, there's a huge difference between uh, Hermit Druid is like two mana, I believe, and yeah. one to activate, and this is five mana. Like, you can never cast this. You need to reanimate it. 
or something, or you need to cheat into play. At which point, wouldn't you rather just get a gristle brand? Like, yeah, that <laughs> like it has to win you. It has to like win you the game on the spot. So it has to be something like an oops all spell combo or something. Which I don't know if this works in any combo like that. So I'm not sure. Well, it'll be interesting to see what develops with this card because it at least has potential to show up in some unexpected places. Just because it's such a unique effect. Yeah, I, I'm really, really wanting to see this in modern because you have so you have fetch lands to give it value. You have, um, you know, you have ghost quarters and stuff to recur tech edges. You have uh, the flagstones. Like you have lots of way to abuse these lands, and yeah, six six death touch is not bad for modern. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, so next we have a green rare. Uh, I actually really like the art on this one. It's inexorable blob. Two and a green for 3-3, three, three, and it's an ooze. Uh, whenever inexorable blob attacks, if there are four more card types uh, in your graveyard, put a 3-3 three, three green ooze creature token onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Hmm. Well, I like the fact that it's on curve, like right off the bat. Is a 3-3 three, three for 3? I mean, it's not exciting for green but you can play a three three for three and constructed and if you actually get to start making oozes with the delirium ability it seems like it can get out of control pretty fast if you're playing like a lot of removal so this can keep attacking it can win the game by itself in like three attacks probably so maybe it has some standard potential but the flavor is super sweet and you're right the art is uh grotesque it's gonna look awesome in foil uh the thing i like is the ooze is actually attacking so if you have Delirium, your first attack is for 6 damage if it's not blocked. And that's pretty good for 3 mana. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but if they have a 4-4, four, four, then you're going to be very, very sad making a 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> because the, the token doesn't get the replicating effect. Uh, so I don't know. It's going to depend on what creatures are matched up. But if it's it's going to wreak havoc against control decks. Like If it just sits there and attacks freely, then it's going to go crazy. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the Brimaz problem, like, that makes the 1-1 token that's attacking whenever it attacks. Yeah. Uh, because if your opponent has any creature, they just kill the token and it does nothing. So it, uh, Blob is a little bit the same way, where it'll depend on the board state. But it does seem really good in the right matchups where an opponent isn't just going to have a blocker to stonewall it or to eat the token that comes into play. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on to some questionable green mythics. So we we this is today's Thursday, which we're recording, and, and we got finally the green mythics, which everyone was waiting for the entire spoiler season. And uh, so here, seasons pass four green green sorcery mythics, so six converted mana costs. Return any number of cards with different converted mana costs from your graveyard to your hand. Put seasons pass on the bottom of its owner's library. Um. Yeah, I, we were talking off cast, and it seems sweet if you had, like, a birthing pod deck just because the mana costs are already divided up. I just don't know how this plays out in practice. What is this going to be? Six mana, draw three from your graveyard a lot of the times? I don't know if that's constructed playable. Yeah, I have no idea. So Praetor's Council is EDH All-Star. Uh, it's eight mana. You get to return all cards from your, uh, from your graveyard to your hand, and you have no maximum hand size. So that seems a lot better than this. Uh, this is slightly cheaper, but this is standard legal. And I don't know, in practice, how many cards can you return? And how many cards do you need to return to make this worth it? If you return four cards, was it worth casting this? Maybe. I guess it also depends a little bit on the deck. I, I don't know. Is a draw for... It's like Ranger of Eos, right? Like... Yeah, you get a ton of cards, but they're one converted mana cost. Like, you need to have some combo or something specific, right, to make this worth it? Because you need to self-mill yourself somehow to get a lot of cards. And then if you get, like, a 1, 2, 3, 4, like, wouldn't you just rather cast a legitimate 6 mana spell and win the game? Yeah, like, you could just be casting Uvenwald Hydra. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why anyone would play Seasons Fast. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, but I, I could actually see this being played, though. Like, imagine uh, if the format is the same as today's standard, so everyone just plays, like, three, four-color good stuff. Like, it's not going to happen because of the mana, but if you just all played mid rangey good stuff decks, 
this could be the sideboard trump right like i'll, I'll get a siege rhino and an anafenza and a sylvan advocate and i don't know what a one mana spell is fiery impulse right? <laughs> you know I'll, I'll get all of those like you're gonna win the game right there on the spot so I could see it being sided in in, you know, some Jundesk type decks if the format is all mid-rangey. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. It'll it'll depend on what the format looks like. And I just don't know if it's going to beat out other options. Like, a lot of times, I think if you're going to cast a six-mana spell, you would rather have it do something right away. If you compare it to, like, all-star six, green six-drops, like Primeval Titan or something, you're getting value right away and a body on the battlefield, not just, like, refilling your hand to maybe do something next turn. And if there's anything to get rid of your graveyard, this card looks so bad. Like, could you imagine having this in hand against <laughs> Rest in Peace or something? You just get wrecked. Uh, speaking of prime time, <laughs> we have Hoovenwald Hydra. Four mana, green, green. Reach, uh, star, star, power, toughness. Power of toughness or equal number of lands you control. And uh, when it enters a battlefield, you may search your library for a land card, put it into the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So you get half of a primetime trigger when this thing gets <laughs> cast. Uh, playable? The, I Well, as far as playable, I'm not sure. I do know this gets the award for green creature that doesn't look like it should be able to block flyers, so I'm going to smash things into it in limited. Like, every set has some green rare that it just doesn't seem like it should be able to block a flyer. And I think this is I think is at this point, anything that's green that has more than, like, six in its mana cost probably has reach. <laughs> <laughs> it means it's, like, big enough that it can probably just grab flyers out of the air. I think uh, this could be playable if... The key, the key of this card is you get to search for any land. So you're not restricted to basic lands, sort of like from Evil Titan. So if there's a land that you just really want to get and it's going to win you the game, I could imagine if you were playing standard and Kessig Wolf Run was in standard, this could be all right to search out your one of Kessig Wolf Run to win the game the following turn. But if you're just searching out a basic or even a duel, I don't think this is even close to playable in Construct. Would you even play it to get a Wolf Run? <laughs> like, isn't the power of primetime getting basically two lands and then four lands? The, the reason why it was so dirty was you get Ink Moth Nexus and Wolf Run, which actually would finish the game by itself. But just getting a normal Wolf Run, assuming you get a card like that, you only give your creature like plus two, plus three, plus trample. And you only get one land. You're not getting four lands, six lands, eight lands, like Primeval Titan. And there is a huge downgrade from Primeval Titan's trample to reach as far as being able to attack. Like, sure, this thing might be a 10-10 at some points in the game, but it's still just going to get blocked by a 1-1. So that's a huge downgrade compared to Primeval Titan. I think it'll see playing Commander. It seems good in Commander. It's big and does something, so it's probably Commander playable. Just like in Tutor Up Bajukabong. <laughs> I, I can't think of like a single land that just like turns the game. Just get that strip mine going. Hey. The uh, strip mine wins a lot of games. Maybe Cabal Coffers can be pretty sweet, or the Cabal Coffers Urborg combo in Commander to search up one half of that and make a ton of mana. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Prime time is banned in EDH, so here you go. <laughs> if you want a beat stick and a land tutor. <laughs> and it's also your six mana card you can get back with Seasons Past once it dies. So you got the six mana slot covered uh, when you cast your Seasons Past. You just get back the Hydra, get another land. I don't know how your opponent can ever win. Ooh. What's the maximum? With Seasons Pass, you can draw 15 cards. <laughs> what is the maximum? Like, yeah, I think Emrakul so. Emrakul goes up to 15. So if you quicken Seasons Pass with the Emrakul trigger on this tag. <laughs> yeah, I guess theoretically that is possible. Well, if you phrase it like that, six mana, draw 15 cards. I don't know how we can go wrong. That's better than Ancestral Recall, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, moving on. Um, here is a zombie token maker uh, from under the floorboards. Three black black sorcery. Put three two two black zombie creature tokens under the battlefield tapped, and you gain three life. Uh, it has a madness cost of X black black. Uh, if the madness cost was paid, instead put X of these tokens under the battlefield tapped, and you gain X life. So this card's absurd with Jace, right? Like, in a control deck, isn't this just, like, a very good finisher? Because if you can pass, cast it for its mana cost, 
it gets out of hand and above the curve really quickly. At four mana, you're getting four power and toughness, but then at like six or seven mana, you're getting 10 power and toughness for a low amount of mana. So I think that, and it gains you the life. It's almost like a weird variant on Sphinx's Revelation. Like it doesn't draw you the cards, but it's a good way to stabilize if you can cast it at instant speed with madness at the end of your opponent's turn with something like Jace looting it. Ooh, I didn't think about that. So usually the, the zombies come into play tapped, so you can't block, but then you die. <laughs> so the, the life <laughs> offset will help you survive to untap with your zombies and then crash in for the win. So I actually like that. I didn't think about it for a control finisher. I don't think it's good if you're just casting it for five mana, but if you can consistently madness it and use it at instant speed, I think it could be playable in the right deck. Yep, and... Uh, I'm going to play an EDH. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like uh, Army... Uh, was it Army of the Dead? What was the card? Army of the Damned, I believe. Army of the Damned. The Make 13 Zombies. Put this with Endless Ranks and Relentless Dead, and here you go. You got the Innistrad Flavor Zombie deck. <laughs> there, There is nothing you like more in Commander than uh, making zombie tokens, is there, Richard? Uh, I don't know why <laughs> I like zombies so much. I just, I just... I just like making like useless tutus and then just killing people with them. Yeah. <laughs> no one expects it. They're just like they're tutus. But then when you have like 10 of them. <laughs> that, that is true. I mean, that's just like a, a zombie horror movie, really. Like one zombie or two zombies isn't going to do that much. They're really slow and pretty stupid. But if you have a whole bunch of them, it's a little harder to escape. And that's like all of your EDH decks are based on that theory. Yeah. Uh, okay. Flashy red mythic time. Gold Knight Castigator. Two red red, four nine, angel flying haste. If a source would deal damage to you, it deals double that damage instead. If a source would deal damage to gold knight castigator, it deals double that damage to gold knight castigator instead. So the problem with this card is you get a four mana card and give your opponent the equivalent of a five mana card as long as it's on the battlefield. Uh, curse of oh man, I can't remember the name. Bloodletting. Bloodletting, yes, is essentially the ability that's attached to that, like a one-sided Furnace of Wrath. And that is a five-mana rare. So I don't think you can just play this card. Like, you, I don't think you can just be a red deck and be like, hey, I'm going to play Gold Knight Castigator. I think you got to have a very specific purpose for it, like maybe coming out of the sideboard against a control deck uh, where you're not so worried uh, about them dealing you damage and it can close out the game really quickly. But I can't imagine you just jamming this in the main deck of most decks. Uh, so even like red deck wins, uh, you have a lot of aggro mirror matches and you definitely don't want to cast this thing in those. So I guess you're right. So if you know your opponent's going to do nothing and not deal you damage, then a four mana, basically four slash 4.5 <laughs> flying haste is not bad but i don't know giving your opponent a you know six damage for one mana off a lightning bolt or something is just not cool <laughs> so have you ever played momir on magic online <laughs> i have not actually is there a card close to this that you played once well, well, there is a card from the original Commander called Avatar of Slaughter. It's an 8-mana eight 8-8 eight eight that says all creatures have double strike and attack each turn of Fable. So this card, if you're playing Momir, if you're not familiar with it, you get a random card of a converted mana cost by paying X amount of mana. So if you get this as your 8-drop, what typically happens is it seems cool at first because all your creatures have double strike and attack. But then your opponent chumps a couple things, and all your creatures are tapped because you just had to attack with them, and all their things have double strikes, so you die the next turn. So I got the feeling this is the same way. Like, you play this, and it seems really cool, and you attack for a bunch of damage in the air, and then your opponent untaps and just kills you. Like, I think that is 90% of the time what'll happen if you play this card in Constructed. Yeah, I, I was hoping it would have a, I guess, fourth ability, either, like, Delirium Double Strike or fire breathing or something to actually make it worth trying to go all in on but uh, essentially it's a kind of like a lava axe or something at this point right like you you deal the four damage and hope it kills your opponent because if it isn't you're probably going to die on the crackback yeah and it doesn't even really have nine toughness like that sounds cool but it's actually more like 
four and a half toughness because of the double how it doubles damage to itself as well so if your opponent blocks it with something with five power it's gonna die because it's gonna take double the damage well it gets around um what, what is that card the thing that gives minus four minus four languish uh the instant one the black like the oh, black, black. grasp of darkness yeah so it gets around stuff like that that stuff doesn't get doubled but any damage based spell um, the other advantages of having nine toughness would be uh, like things that gain you life off toughness, um, tribute to hungers type cards, which probably will have a comeback. Assault formation, boom, nine damage in the air with haste. Good game. <laughs> yeah. So there, there might be some synergies with this card that make it more playable. I will say it's cool just because I don't think I've ever seen a 4-9 before. That might be a unique amount of power and toughness. I don't know if there's ever been one printed in the history of Magic. I haven't looked that up, but I don't think I've ever seen one. And 4 plus 9 is 13. That's that's true. The flavor. All right, let's move on to uh, what we didn't expect to be in this set, which was a rare dual land cycle. So uh, Reddit lied to us. Someone, <laughs> someone did the number crunch. And uh, they concluded that there was no space for five dual lands. But apparently they miscounted the number of basics. So this set has less basics than usual. And here we are with five dual lands. Uh, I don't know what we're calling them. Are we calling them show lands or something? Uh, basically, they're allied colored. Uh, they, they tap for the allied colors. And then when they enter the battlefield, you need to reveal a basic from the, the allied pair. And if you do, it comes into the battlefield untapped. So I think these, for me, are very similar to the fast lands from Scars of Mirrodin. Like, I think they will play similar, similarly. If you have this in your opening hand, it'll usually be untapped, assuming you build, like, your deck is constructed normally, because you should have a untapped uh, land to make it untapped in your hand to go with it. So if it's your first or second land drop, it should be untapped. But in the late game, it's almost always going to come into play tap, just like the fast lands. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan of these. I, I don't know. Like, like you said, in the late game, they'll be tapped because you don't have a planes or island. Uh, but many times, you'll just have two of these in your opening hand, or you'll have these things and the battle lands. And while you can show the battle lands to get these into play untapped, your battle lands are screwed, right? <laughs> like you don't have the basics in play to get the battle lands untapped. So there's going to be a lot of tap lands in standard, I think. Yes, I think especially if you're going to be allied colored because you get both the Battle for Zendikar duels and whatever we're calling these Shadows over Innistrad deals, duels. If you're playing enemy colors, you still have the pain lands, which will make your mana base a little bit quicker. But if you're playing allied colors, you're going to have a very slow mana base, which I'm actually really excited about. Uh, of all the things I can't wait to change with rotation... It is the downgrade of mana which is coming. Because I think that's going to make decks much more interesting and much more diverse. Uh, I just hate tap lands. Wild <laughs> <laughs> uh, all-star. I think th they're, they're fine, though. I would think they're probably worse uh, in general than the Battle for Zendikar duels. Would you agree with that, Richard? Uh, definitely worse. Okay. Um, and probably worse than... Like the the core set cycle where they enter untapped if there's an island or a planes on the battlefield, are they worse than that cycle as well? Oh, definitely. Those those are basically like just straight up dual lands most of the time. All right, so this is near the bottom of the the dual land cycles. In I, I think I'd rather have a scry. I think I'd rather have a temple than this. Temples ended up being much better than everyone thought. So I I think I would agree with you. I think that scry lands. If you're going to already pay the cost of having a land that enters the battlefield tapped, and even though this might not enter the battlefield tap, like you were talking about, the combination of duels in standard are going to mean a lot of enter the battlefield taps lands. You really want that scry more than you want this nothingness you get from these. Also, it is interesting that they're sort of named in a generic way, which makes me think they are planning on reprinting these at some point. Oh, yeah, you're right. Port, town, fortified village, game, trail. These aren't Innistrad-specific card names. So I think we might be seeing these in the future. That makes me sad. I don't want to see these lands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd rather, like, 
I don't know, like a, this is probably too good, but like a enter the battlefield's tap land that like investigates or something. Ooh. <laughs> but that's probably too good. I'm su- almost surprised they didn't do that because they seem to stick investigate on everything in this set. Every card, it's like menace in Battle for Zendikar. <laughs> if you can stick investigate on it, it's going to have investigate on it. It's it's a tree, investigate. It's actually a mountain. Huh. It's a taiga. Okay, let's let's move on to Sin Prodder. Uh, two and a red, a three-two menace. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library. Any opponent may have you put that card in your graveyard. If a player does, Sin Prodder deals damage to that player equal to that card's converted mana cost. Otherwise, put the card in your hand. So I don't like this card. I made some snide comments about it on Twitter. And apparently a lot of people really like it and think that it is just all upside. But the problem is it's only a 3-2 with Menace. We have a 3-2 with Menace in Standard already. And it's not seeing any play. Goblin something that's just a Magic Origins is a 3-2 with Menace. Uh, So I don't think you just want to play something because it's a 3-2 with Menace. And almost every Dark Confidant lookalike that's been printed since Dark Confidant has been complete trash. So I don't have high hopes for this one. So I started with your impression. And I've actually come around on this card. I think it's good and it will see play. So the the key is not to think of it as Dark Confidant, but think of it as a 3-2 that like pings your opponent on their turn. Um, so like if you flip you know, a three-mana card, either they take three damage or they give it to you. Uh, if you flip a land, either they're, they're most likely just going to make you discard it because it's free for them, but that feels your delirium, and that also, if you're an aggressive red deck, removes a land that uh, you would have drawn, which you probably didn't need because you already had three to cast Sin Prodder. So I think it's actually not bad. Like, it depends if there's a better three-drop for red. Like, if there's a hasty you know, like Hellrider type card at three, then yeah, you'd play that. But if there isn't, I think this would be uh, serviceable. And I think the the real power is putting this into a mid-range deck. You know, just a three mana, three, two to act as a blocker against aggressive decks. But uh, against other decks, just to grind value. If you flip a Chandra, either your opponent takes six or gives you a Chandra, right? So I, I think this card has potential. It's not Dark Confidant. It's not like this super card drawing engine, but it puts your opponent in a hard spot and they're going to take some damage and they have to remove this card. They can't just leave it on the battlefield and just ignore it. And I guess the upside is red, like the standard for card draw in red is so much lower than a lot of other other colors that even dealing a couple damage or drawing a card every other turn is still decent just because red is so devoid of other card draw options so maybe because it's red it'll see play i hadn't really considered it as a mid-range card but that does make a lot of sense if you're flipping five six seven drops your opponent can't just put them all um in your graveyard and take the damage sooner or later it's going to literally be draw a card every turn because that's going to chip down their life total really quickly yeah and then you also have things like flashback and delve so, you know, flip a Tassiger or something, right? It's like one mana for you, but it's six life for your opponent. Well, Delve, unfortunately, is rotating. But... Uh, well, awkward. <laughs> but still... There's no flashback cards, right? There, There's no flashback at the moment, or in Delve is rotating, but I think that you're right about Delirium. Like, it is a good way to fuel your Delirium, and we haven't seen too many great ways of filling your own graveyard, so that's another benefit. So, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And it has Menace for some reason. You know, it's one devil. Usually devils, there are multiple devils in the picture, so you're like, oh, they have Menace, I get that. But there's only one here. I will say it's a little awkward that it's a devil, because it doesn't benefit from any of the tribal synergies in the set, so I wonder if that could hold it down. If you're going to be playing red-black vampires, do you not play this just because of its creature type, or doesn't it really matter? Yeah, I don't know. It depends if there's any good three-drop vampires, which there are. So you probably are not going to play this. <laughs> you probably just play Adrana or something, right? Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. Maybe it's better than I thought at first glance. Like, your your mid-range or, uh, like, more expensive deck argument is a pretty good one. So I, I will grant that. Like, you can't leave this on the battlefield. Like, so, suppose you could somehow 
not take damage from this. Like you can't just let it sit there. It, it's going to get your opponent advantage, uh, and you know, give them a good advantage and win the game. And chances are you might not be able to block this. Right? It has menace, so it might just chip you for three a turn anyway. So I, I think if, it's one of those like cards that look bad, but they're going to end up killing you anyway. So you gotta you gotta get rid of it. That's that's how I feel this card will be. And I guess it's, I mean, it's only three mana, so it's not that much of an initial investment for what you're getting. And it's way better off the top in top deck wars in the late game than most red three drops. Like, this actually is going to maybe be able to attack, like you said, with Menace and start generating value every turn when there's not many red three drops that can do that. Yeah, like I said, it depends if there's going to be, if there's like a three drop, four two haste or something, then you probably play that. But if there's nothing better, like, this gives you a lot of value. Moving on, uh, we have a Wolf Warrior, Silver for Partisan, 2 and a green, a 2-2, two, two, Trample. Uh, when a Wolf or Werewolf you control becomes a target of an instant or sorcery, put a 2-2 two, two green Wolf creature token on the battlefield. Well, thank God it has Trample. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, This card is really cool. Um, I really like the non-traditional lords that they have in this set. Like, this is essentially a wolf or werewolf lord, but it isn't just, oh, everything gets plus one, plus one. Like, it, it acts in a different way. And I'm really interested to see if there's any sort of loop-type combos where you can just make an infinite amount of wolves with this card. I haven't figured one out yet, but it seems like the way it's worded, it's possible that there's some sort of loop you could create with this. There's, there's probably, like, an EDH loop. You get an artifact that casts a spell, and then you get something that, when it enters the battlefield, untaps something. I'm sure there's some EDH loop with this, but I don't know that you need one. This this is, like, so good. Like, if your opponent removes this, you get a 2-2, right? If you play a pump spell on this, you get a 2-2. If your opponent tries to remove your, your wolf token, you get another token to replace it, right? Like, it's just really hard to remove anything. It's like a voice of resurgence or something, right? Like... I think this will be really good. Even without any other wolves in your deck, just playing this as a three mana two two might be good enough. That I mean, that is a fair point. I guess it depends a little bit on your deck, but it is really hard to kill with removal. I mean, without it generating value. So Voice of Resurgence isn't a bad comparison, just how it even if you kill it, it's gonna leave something behind of value. So if you think of it as a Four, four for three because most likely you're going to be able to get at least one token out of it even if your opponent kills it it's that's a pretty above the curve card so maybe you're right maybe you don't need the tribal aspects maybe you just uh play it as it is to generate value yeah and there might just be some random wolves that are good <laughs> that you you want to play not because they're wolves it's because they're good and then they just kind of incidentally combo with this card and I'm sure it'll be popular in casual circles uh, for werewolf and wolf decks. It's another lord for them that they're pretty lacking on since they only have one block of support before Shadows Over Innistrad. Yeah. And just imagine playing this with Zada. Yes. That sounds like something I would do on against odds. That sounds pretty sweet. All right. Moving on to Traverse the Uvenwald, Green Sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it in your hand. Uh, if there are four or more card types, uh, this is Delirium. If it's Delirium, <laughs> search your library for a creature or a land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle your library. So tutor for a land, Delirium, tutor for a land, or a creature. With Delirium, this card is insane. The question is going to be if you're playing a deck that can consistently have Delirium. As without Delirium... This card is unplayable. That's my take on it. Is it unplayable? There was, there is a card that is literally that that has been in standard recently, and it is essentially unplayable. Just search your library for a basic land, put it in your hand. Because hmm. it, it's one mana. So, like, if you if you replace one of your lands with this, which I know it doesn't exactly work, but you can replace some number of your <laughs> lands with this, you get the land in your hand, which then activates your show lands. So you can actually play them untapped. And it fixes mana. It's not that bad. I mean, it's not optimal, but like it kind of cycles itself, right? It's not so bad without Delirium. And then if you get Delirium, then it just becomes like a worldly tutor or whatever, and it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's if you do that, it's a better worldly tutor and 
essentially a modern legal crop rotation almost. Like you can search for your Ink Moth Nexus out of your Infect deck for one mana. Wait, no, 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 no. That's not a crop rotation, man. Crop rotation's an instant. That's how you get the out of nowhere Ink Moth kill. <laughs> but you don't have to sack the land either. So there's, yeah, I, that's true. Crop rotation is still better. But it's a one mana way that you can search out any land in your deck. You can search out a Tron piece an Ink Moth Nexus, whatever, a Ghost Quarter, whatever land you happen to need. it's So that's a big upgrade going from basic to being able to search for any land when you have Delirium. So I think it's playable. I think it's definitely playable. I don't know about Standard if you will play it, especially since it sort of competes with Oath of Nyssa, like in a similar design space. Oh, I'm so sad. I just thought about fetching Ivugan with this. <laughs> like, do you want to fetch Eye of Ugin or do you want to fetch your Ulamog directly? But I don't know that uh, modern Eldrazi will still be around when this card ships. Oh, uh, let's hope not. <laughs> I think this next card is pretty sweet. Um, Tireless Tracker. Uh, three mana, so two and a green. It's a 3-2 human scout. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. Whenever you sacrifice a clue, put a plus one, plus one counter on Tireless Tracker. That is an interesting card. I, I'm having a hard time evaluating how valuable clue tokens actually are, partly because so many cards make these clue tokens that I'm kind of overwhelmed. Uh, so I don't know, how valuable is a clue token, Richard, in Constructed? Uh, if it's all mid-range control decks, <laughs> very valuable, I think. But if everyone's playing red deck wins, then useless. So pretty high variance depending on what the format looks like. Yeah. But I think the, the thing is, you you have like this mana sink all of a sudden, right? Like you can now do nothing and wait. And, you know, you can cast instance or, um, you know, you can cast instance or you can use your clues. So I, I think it adds a lot of flexibility to your deck. Like, you can just pass the turn now, and you can use your clue if you want, or you can cast a spell. Like, you know, you can hold up a removal spell or just use your clues. So I, I think they're going to be very powerful. I think we're going to see a lot of clues in standard. I, I don't think it's a limited, you know, mechanic or anything like that. Clue tokens seem very good in control decks and slower decks as well, because like you said, you can leave up your counter magic. If you don't need to counter anything, draw a card or two. I wonder, though, about aggro decks where you're so focused on curving out. In those decks, it seems more like um, a late game thing for when things go wrong and you don't kill your opponent in the first five turns or whatever. Then this gives you some way to try to stay in the game against control decks when you're empty-handed when normally an aggro deck wouldn't have anything to do and they'd just be playing off the top yeah i don't think there are many aggro cards that make clues so i i don't think that's a problem this card like the, the main problem is things that make clues are very slow and you're probably going to die to aggro decks before you ever use your clue but this is a three mana three two uh it can block and it can become a four three if you need it to be so it keeps you alive and then Two or three turns later, you have a couple clues to cash in. So I actually really like this card. Unlike other clue cards that just make clues and then you just die, like this is actually a somewhat legitimate body and it grows uh, as the game goes. So you can actually block with this and you know control decks where they actually do nothing the entire game. You can actually make this thing quite big if you you know make four land drops and sack all those clues. Like this is a seven six. And I, I like the flexibility of it that um, that you can essentially in the late game play it on turn four even and immediately make your land drop. And then you're at least getting a clue token. Even if your opponent just kills it right away, it is almost like an enter the battlefield ability. Like you're getting some value from it if you play it in that way. So I don't think it I think it has potential to see play. Um, and like you said, it does get big. I really I also like that the way it's worded you can sacrifice the clue tokens in any way you want to. A lot of the clue tokens are worded that way. So if you have other spells that just allow you to sack the clue tokens, even if you're not drawing a card, you could potentially kind of combo off with these and make it huge out of nowhere with Carrot Clan Ironworks or um, Arcbound Ravager or whatever effects like that that can repeatedly sack clue tokens. Ooh, modern clues? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually think about that, but that's actually... Not bad. There's also 
There was a three mana exile, basically everything but a land, but you have to sacrifice a permanent uh, for white. That also works very well with clues and tireless tracker. Angelic Purge. Ooh, yes. So as additional cost to Angelic Purge, sacrifice a permanent exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment. So you can cast Angelic Purge, uh, sacrifice your clue for free, get a plus one, plus one counter, and exile something. I mean, it's even just sweet with Shrapnel Blast, which isn't in standard right now, but clue tokens, there are synergies there for sacking artifacts. So I'm sure that something outside of the obvious, like play it as a green mid-range creature could develop with some of these clue cards. Oh, and I'm actually very curious. Random rules question. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if you Shrapnel Blast, how much, how much damage does Shrapnel Blast do? Uh, five damage for two mana. Uh, okay, say you have a four or five Goyf. And you shrapnel blast the clue. The clue goes to the graveyard. Shrapnel blast resolves, but then the clue disappears. So your goyf still dies, or does your goyf live? I think it would still die unless there was already an artifact in the graveyard from something else, because okay. the damage would be marked on it essentially. Oh it yeah, 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 yeah. It would die. That's to true. That. Because the damage is marked. Oh, yeah. That's unfortunate. I wanted more gotchas for a few <laughs> players at FNM. <laughs> that, that, would, that would be a good one if it actually worked that way. Because I know a lot of people don't realize that tokens go to the graveyard. They just go there and then cease to exist. Yeah, and and that's kind of, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize the complexity of lightning bolting a goif sometimes. Like, I've definitely seen plenty of people try to bolt a goif when it's a 2-3 and get blown out because there, there wasn't an instant in the graveyard. Yeah, well, I'm nice. At FNM, I tell them they don't want to do that. <laughs> but at a GFE, I'm like, nope. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, so those are all the spoilers we wanted to talk about. So today's Thursday. Tomorrow, the full set is revealed. This podcast will be going up after that. But is there anything left you'd like to see in the set? Or what are you expecting in the uncommons and commons? Uh, lots of menace and lots of clue tokens, I'm expecting. <laughs> um. I, I think that, honestly, we're pretty much through the good stuff. Like, it is fairly rare that we get really good cards on the last day of spoilers. I think we might have all the myth- mythics now with the green ones that re- were revealed today. There could be one more left. I'd have to double check that. So I'm expecting more flip cards, more flavorful cards, but not anything that's really playable outside of limited. So... No legendary werewolf? I think that the legendary werewolf will be one of the chase cards or the the highlighted cards from the second set of the block. That's my guess. You're going to have to wait a couple more months for the long-rumored legendary werewolf for Commander. Uh, what if they just don't give us one? What if it was Arlen Cord? <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think they will. I mean, we got a legendary frog horror, so if you want to play frog tribal, you got your commander now. So if they're going to give us a legendary flog- frog horror, I think they're going to give us a legendary werewolf. I haven't seen any good blue cards, like control-y cards. Is control no longer a standard archetype? Do we just play mid-range versus aggro? Is that is that where we're at now? Uh... Like there, is there? I guess there's the five mana counter spell investigate three times but i haven't seen like a think twice or or something like along those lines there's an interesting card is pieces of the puzzle the three mana reveal the top five cards of your library you get to take up to two instants or sorceries and put the rest in your graveyard not i mean that's not great card draw by any means but it could be playable in the right deck the problem is it's sorcery speed that is true um, Epiphany at the Drown Yard, the horrible reverse factor fiction variant. I don't, I don't like how we're going with these factor fiction variants. I, I don't like how the choosing happens anymore. Yeah, me either. So I don't know. I'm sure we'll get a three mana counter spell, uh, some of those type of cards. I don't think we'll get literal think twice because we don't have flashback, but we'll probably get some passable card draw. The thing is, though. We're losing Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, and they definitely haven't shown us anywhere near a replacement for either of those cards. And those are two of the key cards for making control decks viable. But they're not even control decks. They're just mid-range decks <laughs> that play blue. Yeah, I, I guess that's I guess right, that is I, a fair point. I, I have 
put on my wizard's R&D hat. Here we go. One mana. This is probably not going to work because of Storm. One mana blue spell. Cantrip. Instant. Investigate. Ooh. I I would play that. I think it's uh, too good, though. No? Probably. So all together... Wizards doesn't like one mana cantrips. <laughs> but if you make two mana... So two mana cantrip investigate then it then it's then like, it's nah, not maybe maybe uh, that's the problem with all good blue cards is they cost half a mana too little like from wizard's perspective counter spells should be two and a half mana but you can't do that so it's three mana cantrips would probably be perfect at one and a half mana but that you can't really do that and at two mana they're unplayable so blue is in this weird place where wizards is afraid of giving them things on the lower side of the converted mana cost scale, so everything ends up being just a little too expensive to really be good. Okay, I, I have solved it once again. <laughs> One mana cantrip, sorcery, investigate. New mechanic, terrified. You can't play any spells for the rest of the turn. I, I thought you were going to say the rest of the game. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably a little too restrictive. <laughs> no, no, see, you're like all scared. This is Innistrad. You're scared you can't cast any more spells. So you can cantrip, but you can't just like go off and like storm. I, or you know what they could do is go back to the old style of cantrips where you get the spell, but you don't get to draw the card until your next upkeep. Like that's all like the early day cantrips. It's very rare that you just draw a card right away. There's like... Uh, oh, what's the name? Oh, I can't remember the name. It's essentially a ponder, but uh, you don't get to draw the card until yeah. your next upkeep. So it's the something Ice like Age that. card. Yes, I I considered it for our '99 Commander week. I, I've uh, seen it played in Miracles. I've seen it played in Miracles. It's also missing the shuffle effect, which is why I ended up not playing it because it yeah. felt like a index almost that didn't let you draw a card rather than a ponder since you couldn't shuffle, but. But maybe something like that, that takes away the, like, explosive aspect of chaining together cantrips when you got a way to turn. Yeah. Well, green mythics suck. Blue kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in the standard. We're just going to play zombies and toads. That's, that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the tribal flavors are there. there I think there'll be a vampire deck. There'll be a, a zombie deck. Maybe a... Uh, there'll be a madness deck of some kind. The madness spell, the zombie one, seems really strong. So maybe it's, maybe we'll have control decks, but they're just not going to be the traditional like draw go control yeah. where you just sit behind stuff. It's going to be more tap out for good planeswalkers and uh, use your jaces to d discard things for madness type control. Yeah, it'll be a jace deck. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so that's all the spoilers we want to talk about. Uh, let's move on to fishmail. So this week, from Guitar Weeps. On Wednesday, I noticed my paper collection dropped about a grand in value. At first, I thought something on the reserve list got banned or something dropped all those cards. After I looked into it, no drops, no big drops at all. Uh, what happened? Uh, so a lot of people have been asking this. Uh, so what happened was TCG Player, which is the source for the, the prices, for paper prices, uh, had an issue uh, earlier this week, and it, I think it was an issue with vendors updating their prices. And to work around that or to fix it, they stopped listing uh, the inventory of these vendors on their website so that you couldn't buy cards at the incorrect price. So this removed a whole bunch of vendors off the website, and therefore the, the median price got all messed up. So a ton of cards dropped in price. Uh, other cards like skyrocketed in price. Just random stuff happened because half the data disappeared. Uh, so that that was on TCG Player's end. Uh, they have fixed it. They should be all back to normal. Well, that's good to know. I was wondering about that myself because I couldn't think of anything that was going on in the the real world of MTG Finance that would cause such a major shakeup. Yep. Uh, okay, so Ian Brody. With the Eldrazi ban quickly approaching... What do you think the price trajectory of Foil Thought Not Seer or any of the El uh, Eldrazi cards are? Clearly the deck will get hit hard in Modern, but how hard? It's also picking up Steam and Legacy, and I believe Eldrazi will be very viable when standard, uh, uh, in Standard when cons rotates. I'm not really worried about Eldrazi cards, honestly. Uh, most of the cards, 
that were really expensive around the Pro Tour have already dropped a lot. Like, Ayavugan is down from $50 to $20. Eldrazi Temple was almost $10. It's back down to 3 or $4. Even Thought Not Seer itself has been steadily decreasing from 15 down to 10 So I think people, a lot of people, the people that aren't playing Eldrazi on camera, SCG events, and GPs, have already gotten out of those cards to not get hurt by the banning. Obviously, whatever gets banned will get hurt the most. Like, if they ban I, it will decrease more if they ban Temple. But I think that there's enough standard demand and fringe legacy demand that I'm not really worried about these cards crashing because of a modern banning. I think that because they're in standard and likely going to be very good in standard, that they're going to be just fine. They will probably continue to trend down slightly just as supply goes in the market, but I expect them to act more or less like normal standard rares. All right. Uh, From at Darkness Zora, if you could give flavor text to a card that doesn't have any, what card would it be and what would the text be? Uh, So this one is a little hard to answer on the spot. Uh, You don't have one off the top of your head, do you, Seth? I I would have to actually look through and see which cards do and do not have flavor text before I could answer it. Yeah, we need to go do some research, and we'll get back on this one, because we can't really answer this one on the fly. At Random Keho, what is the future of BFZ Dual Lands compared to Ravnica Dual Lands, given they are low right now? Hashtag I am Canadian. Oh, Kim is Canadian. (laughs) Well, uh, BFC Dual Lands are likely going to start increasing. They already have started going up a little bit, but they're going to increase a lot in the next month or two when they become the most played land cycle in standard. So I expect them to be over $5, uh, maybe at some points getting up to 8 or $10 for the most heavily played ones. Over the long term, I like them in modern, and I tend to play one of them sometimes in certain decks. But I don't think they're real competition for the Ravnica duels. So I expect that over the long term, they're going to act more like the other fringe playable cycles that we see in modern. Like the Fastlands that we talked about uh, that still have some value, especially if they don't get reprinted for five years after they rotate. But they're not going to be $20 or $15 like the, like the Shocklands. Not for a long time, at least, unless if they just never get reprinted and a decade goes by, possibly, but they're not going to just shoot up to 15 or $20 because of modern. So have you actually found any use for them uh, in budget modern? That That is actually, there is a use for them in budget modern. A lot of it depends, though, on how budget you're playing. I don't use them often for budget magic, just because their real value is being able to fetch them. So if you have fetch lands and have enough in your budget, like you have the cons fetch lands, they're uh, a great budget option in place of the shock lands. But if you're not playing any fetch lands in your deck and going that budget, then they're not really any better or much better than any of the other cycles. Even they're actually worse than some of the other cycles, like the corset type cycle we were talking about, the buddy lands, like Glacial Fortress is probably better than Prairie Stream if you're not fetching out Prairie Stream. Yeah, I've actually wanted to try one in Jund, uh, but they don't have the enemy-colored ones. Yeah, I play four of them in the Blue-White Amiria deck because I think it's really good in that deck. You have a ton of basics, so you can pretty consistently have it come into play untapped, and you have a few fetches, so you can fetch for them. But I don't know. I think that that's more their ceiling is maybe specific two-color decks will play more of them if they care about the basic land type. That's the thing with Amiria. And I've noticed this with Valakut decks as well. If you really care about the land type for some reason, these cards are playable. But in Jund, could you imagine playing four of them over four uh, Blood Crypts or whatever? No, no, no. Like, I play two Overgrown Tombs. I could potentially play one. Um, But uh, just thinking about it, it's very awkward. Because the ideal is you fetch basic, basic, and then uh, you can play this untapped. Uh, but a lot of times you'll have Raging Ravine or whatever that fast land is called, the Blackleaf Cliffs. Therefore, you can never fetch this <laughs> to be untapped at that point, right? So uh, in some cases it might work, but in general it probably won't work because the mana base is too too greedy, I guess. But Ameria or Valakit, I think, are more natural homes for this where you're just playing a ton of basics anyway. 
yeah, if you're playing decks that are searching out basics with search for tomorrows or want basics for other reasons, they're pretty good and maybe even comparable to the Shocklands. But that's a really small percentage of decks that fit into that category. So in the typical deck, the Shocklands are much better. Okay, so at uh, Mutoku, uh, a few podcasts ago, Saffron Olive referenced the Chronicles debacle. Uh, Can he elaborate? I need a history lesson. All right, so back in the early days of Magic, the print runs on sets were incredibly limited. Uh, It's minuscule compared to modern standards. So some cards started to creep up in value because people really wanted them. And there weren't that many around. So Wizards said, well, we should do a reprint set to get more supply out there. So instead of doing a Modern Masters type reprint where they print a few more of the cards or some sort of limited reprint, they printed Chronicles, which was the largest supply set of all time. And it just crushed the value of all these cards. And it hurt the collectors primarily, but also hurt the players who had bought in earlier and gotten cards from Legends or Arabian Nights or Alpha. Uh, actually, I don't think they reprinted Alpha cards, Legends, Arabian Nights, and so forth. So it hurt these players, and because of that, there was a big uproar from the player base and from the collectors, and that is what directly led to the reserve list, the promise that they would never reprint certain cards, uh, and that is why we are dealing with some of the issues we deal with today, where we can't get more dual lands and other legacy staples, and even commander staples, because they're on the reserve list, which is directly tied to Chronicles, it was the response to Chronicles to make the community feel comfortable that you can buy our cards and we're not just going to print a billion of them and crush the value of them. You have some safety investing your money with us uh, because we're not going to reprint cards like that anymore. And it took them 15 years or something before they really started doing full-on massive reprint sets like Modern Masters. And even today, they're handling it really lightly. Like People always complain about Uh, the supply and the price of Modern Masters. And that is reasonably uh, attributed to the impact of Chronicles still today. Wizards doesn't want to go through that again, and they're treading lightly when it comes to reprint sets. All right, so that is the history of reprints and why Tarmogoyf won't be a $10 card anytime soon. Yes, that is true. (laughs) So that's it. That's all the fish mail we have. So that's the fish mail. That's the spoilers. Do you have... Any last final thoughts on Shadows Over Innistrad or anything else on the way out the door, Richard? Uh, nope, I'm excited for the pre-release. It's almost pre-release. I, I just signed up for the pre-release, so it's two weeks out, right? I think this will be going up on a Friday, so the following oh, so Saturday. One week so, out. Yeah. yeah, essentially a week from when this will be posted. So that is really exciting, and I am super excited for rotation and for the ban list announcement someone was asking me today why haven't you made more uh much of brew about nothings and i just haven't been that motivated to brew non-budget decks because standard is this five color mess where it's just not very interesting to me modern you know the best deck is eldrazi so i am more stoked for this rotation slash bnr announcement than i have been in a long time plus shadows looks awesome and has a ton of cards i can't wait to play with so funny story uh so you know on the website you can vote for archetype names yes right so <laughs> what i see very often is like oh this this deck is mario green it's like no it's uh Je- you know it's jeskai i can't even think of the color jeskai black oh no it's teamer white I'm like, I don't even know, guys. <laughs> like, I don't even know anymore. Like, what, what was the point of naming any of these decks? It's just, just all the colors, all the cards. It should actually be named after the single card of the deck. Like, this is digthroughtime.deck. <laughs> this is seedrino.deck. The good news is, I think that Wizards has learned from this, and we are unlikely to see fetches and fetchable duels in Standard for a very long time. I remember, I was thinking about it this week, when... This When they first spoiled the Battle for Zendikar duels, we did the podcast, and I was the one saying, this is insane, I can't believe they put shock, essentially Shocklands and Fetchlands in Standard, and it, it ended up being just as insane as I imagined, and probably even more insane, so uh, we saw this coming, a lot of other people saw it coming, I'm not sure why Wizards didn't see it coming, but they're going to see it coming next time, and we're unlikely to have this super expensive five-color mess of standard again. So I'm really happy about that. To be fair, the mana is actually really bad. Like, I, I have died so many times playing Mardi Green because I didn't fetch the right sequence. Because even though you're playing four colors, 
all of the cards are so greedy. Like you're playing uh, the three color spells, like things like Absin Charm, uh, Crackling Doom. They're all three colors that require specific colors. And then like just just for fun, you're playing cards like Kalidas, like Double Black. <laughs> so like you have to actually sequence very well. And because of the battle for, for uh, the battle for Zendikar lands, you want to fetch basics so they come into play untapped. But then you get screwed because the color requirements are so intense. So actually, the mana is like shockingly bad, but it's just passable enough that you can, you know, overcome it to play your four-color good stuff. And the number of times where those cards are powerful outweigh the number of times you just get mana screwed because you couldn't get the right lands. I I was playing Budget Magic this week. The episode, the the match is actually up on the YouTube channel, but... The, my opponent was playing what essentially looked to be like a Jun color dragons list, and out of nowhere, they Slumgar scored me. The double blue <laughs> two mana counter spell. Like, what? What? What is going on in this format? Like, what? Like, what, can you even have you ever played in another standard format or even remember one where you could play a three color wedge deck with really intensive mana cost in splash a double colored two mana counter spell like that just seems absurd you can't even do that in legacy do you like typically you don't splash counter spell in your three color like naya deck in legacy well, you don't because there's a thing called wasteland and there's value to playing basics which we have forgotten about in standard and that is the other story of the standard format we never got the ghost quarter type effect which i assume that we would naturally get and as I think it was Sam Black pointed out, they completely whiffed on giving us Graveyard Hate, which ended up with Rally the Ancestors just being, I think, the last GP, which we didn't talk about, or was it a GP? Yes, I think it was a GP this past weekend, had five Rally decks in the top eight. Like, it's just Eldrazi-type dominant in standard right now. But it's okay because it's rotating in two weeks, but it's just such an odd format with some really weird things going on. So, luckily, Shadows is right around the corner, and it looks awesome. We should definitely get Ghost Quarter. It fits the theme. <laughs> like, why? We need some. We need to punish people for playing non basic lands. Well, you could argue that Wasteland fit the theme of <laughs> Oath of the Gatewatch, and we didn't get that. Well, that might be slightly too powerful. <laughs> but Ghost Quarter. Okay, I, I fixed it again. <laughs> Destroy target non basic. Your opponent investigates. That would be fine. I would be perfectly happy with that. Actually, yeah, that seems pretty strong. That, seems that pretty might strong. be too strong. You probably, you probably, probably just enter the battlefield tapped or something. Probably, or else wouldn't people just play eight Wastelands in some decks in Legacy? Like, that's pretty close to Wasteland. No, but you get to investigate. But if you're Wastelanding, then they don't have the mana to pay the two to get the card from their clue token. Yeah, you can Wasteland yourself to draw cards. Too. Okay, maybe this is too good. <laughs> this is why I don't work at Wizards. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think, is that everything for this week? That's everything. All right, well, we will be back next week with Chaz, I believe, will be back. So uh, this has been episode 51 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. It's actually episode 61, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave this in. This, this is what happens when Chaz isn't here. <laughs> we need Chaz here to butcher the episode names. That's his job. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.